Hey folks, welcome back to the DC Three Cast. My name is Brian. With me, as always, are Vince and Zach. We're here to talk about the DC Comics coming out on the fifth of April, twenty twenty-two. Starting with Batman One Twelve, written by Joshua Williamson and Howard Porter. Vincey, we were all pretty high on last week's Shadow War Alpha. What did you think of this first issue? I think it's still pretty good as far as the Shadow War crossover goes. Like I think. Again, it's very lean, and I, I love that. I, I I think like if you're gonna do like a, a a breezy, um, very like ninja fight heavy comic, don't bog it down in a bunch of narration or dialogue or whatever. I think like um, just to just to pull from something we were talking about on the patreon episodes a little bit the rob liefeld stuff brian you had said about that like some people like liefeld because he just goes for it with with the with the high concept action or whatever and Mm -hmm. i don't disagree with that except that he bogs it down with all this really shitty dialogue (laughs) of course yeah yeah and i'm not saying you didn't i'm not saying you don't know that i'm just saying like besides the fact that none of the art on those books was any good either, like, (laughs) like it just, it's so much better when they don't, they just don't try to throw all that stuff in there. You know, there are times in this issue where Williamson knows the exact book that he's writing. Like once things get down to brass tacks and they're fighting ninjas or whatever, the, the, um, the demon shadow group or whatever, there's very scant dialogue in all of that stuff. And any dialogue that's there is pretty much kind of needed, you know? Um, it's not overly explaining anything, but it's, it's now we got to go over here type thing, you know? But like, just does not get weighed down uh, with a lot of exposition or anything like that. And I'm loving it on that level. So, so the same thing I said last week about the first installment of this holds true. And then you've got the Howard Porter art, which I think, especially in these fight scenes, is really bonkers. And th- there's something about Porter where, like, there's detail and there's an element of realism. But then at the same time, it's almost like you're watching, like, aliens or so. Like, you know, everybody kind of looks a little alien. Everyone kind of looks a little bendy or exaggerated, you know, yes. and it's it's not ridiculous, but it's comic booky. I would say. Yeah, I agree with that. Zach, what do you think of this issue? I I also liked it a lot, especially like Vince said, the uh, Howard Porter art. Um, I think it's wild continuing to watch the evolution of Howard Porter um, because I think you know the, the Howard Porter of like five or so years ago when he kind of had his resurgence um, was drastically different from the Howard Porter that I you know associate from the 90s and and this is still like very much you know, new Howard Porter, but I think he's getting even more, like even a little bit looser and more frenetic in his um, composition and things like the ninja fight scene was just 
just kind of bonkers to look at in a really good way um there's like that page it's like page, it's page 13 in our pdf where um you have the 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 guy uh, i forget the henchman guy for deathstroke fighting the like death angel angel breaker <laughs> and there's that like middle sequence where they are kind of like there are panels that are jumping back and forth in perspective between the two and angel breaker is kind of doing this like spinning move towards the reader while at the same time like the henchman guy is doing like spinny wanted style dual wielding guns like it's just hot fuzz style hot fuzz style sure yeah um and it's just like it's just crazy action stuff and it's so it's so well put to the page and feels so dynamic um I I I <laughs> I really enjoyed looking at it, um, and I really like Howard Porter's Batman as well. Um, the sequence where he's breaking into Talia's fortress or whatever is also really good. Um, and yeah, I still I just continue to be invested in this event. I I think I I have a big theory about who the fake. Deathstroke is me too. Well, let's save that for after we talk about the general issue. Of course, yeah, yeah. Anything um, else you want to say? Sorry, no, that's pretty much it. So Howard Porter's art is so good in this issue, and I'm I've been trying to think of a word to describe it, and I I really can't come up with one because it's not really surreal. It's not really naturalistic. It's none of those things. It's just kind of. I feel like his his work has a a freewheeling kinetic aspect to it, but just when you think it's about to go off the rails with that stuff, he pulls it back just enough to make it really interesting. But similarly, he can also draw a Ravager drinking in a bar, doing almost nothing, and give her a ton of um a ton of thought in her facial expressions, a ton of power in her limited movements. Like he's really good at doing both the crazy action stuff and also the sort of quieter character stuff. But in this issue, it's, it's absolutely the action stuff that wins out and it's just so fun and so enjoyable to read. Uh, It makes this issue fly along. You know, the word we keep using for this is lean, but that's, it's made extra lean by how, how much action happens in this issue, but it still feels like substantial things are happening. It's not just like a uh, an out of nowhere, you know, action book that doesn't have any any tether to a larger story or space for character moments. It does all of that at the same time. It's really it's really an impressive issue, and this is off to a a really good start as a crossover. Um, so before we get to Zach's theory and my theory, Vince, do you have a theory on who the uh, the fake Deathstroke is? Well, my theory. My theory was spoiled by Zach, who I think has it spot on. Um, I don't see how it can be anyone else. But um, I, I will tell you that before I heard Zach's theory, I was just thinking it was going to be something like um, uh, his dad, uh, Charles Wilson, mm-hmm. from the New 52 run. Just because, just because of the throwaway line that Slade had about, I've fought this guy before or whatever, you know? Uh-huh. And uh, and so I was trying to think, like, who could it be who he's fought before that isn't one of the obvious that isn't like, you know, um, 
uh, one of the members of the Teen Titans or, you know, one of the one of the more obvious like Slade Wilson uh, opponents, you know, or somebody we've somebody we've seen recently, you know. Yeah. Um, so I was just thinking it was like maybe his dad or something. Um, but, but Zach's got it. He knows. And maybe you do too. I don't, I don't know your guess, but. I think my guess is almost too obvious. I, I feel like there, I feel like Williamson has put in a lot of red herrings to make <laughs> me think this. All right. What's your, what is your guess? I, I think that it's Brian Markov geoforce. Oh, uh, I, I see why you think that. Yeah. Okay. He's he's in the, the alpha issue in like a new segment for no reason for no other, other than like other than the fact that Leviathan bought Markovia and, right. and I think didn't like Markovia get messed up or yeah as yeah. like a part of yes. those events. Yes. Um so he's he's angry about that. I think in the beginning of this issue, the deathstroke figure that's in that ruined city is is him like kind of surveying the the ruins of Markovia. And I, I think that he used his powers to make the tunnel to get, to get that, there. That that's a really good, that's, that's smart. Um, so that, so that's why I think it's him, but I, I also think that there's just too many clues at the beginning to point towards him. So I don't know. Oh, and also he's, he would want to discredit and frame Deathstroke because of Terra. That's why he would oh. specifically frame Deathstroke. That's actually really good. Yeah, that's really good. All right, I, I think you might have mine beat, but I, I have. There's one thing that I want that I think is is possibly true. Well, not true. I think it could be true. That maybe makes some sense. Which is that I thought that the uh, and this is going to sound crazy. That the fake Deathstroke is actually Rachel Ghoul. And that that was a decoy that was destroyed. That's not a bad theory. Here's why I think that. First of all, um, they needed to get rid of Deathstroke's body somehow, right? Not Deathstroke, uh, Rachel Ghoul's body because of a Lazarus pit. And so, the you know, the fact that there isn't a body there is very convenient for it being Rachel Ghoul. Like, you know, there's something, um, you know, in stories all the time like, unless you see the body the person is not dead right so that's the first thing the second thing is talia is basically trying to seduce bruce in this issue and i feel like that isn't her i don't think talia is the kind of person to when she's upset fall into the arms of somebody that she cares about or that or that or fall into anyone's arms talia that's not who talia is i think talia is trying to seduce bruce for a reason and i think that talia and Raish have a plan that Bruce is falling into here and Damien is falling into and Deathstroke is falling into. I, I do think that there is something. I don't think Raish is dead. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong, but, but I would be wait. really surprised if he was dead. It's comic book resources called it a permanent end. To the <laughs> oh, dang. <laughs> Fuck it. I'm wrong. Yeah, maybe he is wrong. I don't know. CBR knows stuff, guys. I mean, they they invite people on that yacht, and then they trade insider secrets. And as is well established, we have the multiversity rowboat. Don't forget about that. So <laughs> I've, I've never seen it. 
any creator who wants to come to my backyard and get him a rowboat, we'll do an interview on the rowboat. <laughs> I quit playing with your dinghy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I know where you live. <laughs> I've seen where you sleep. Uh, any excuse to talk about uh, Tommy Boy, we will take on this show. Yeah. Zach, you see that one, Tommy Boy? Uh, no. Oh, my God. <laughs> Forget the Grant Morrison read through. We got to do the '90s comedy uh, watch through first. Yeah, we have like four. We have like four <laughs> four main camps of that, right? We have the Sandler films, yep. the Farley films, which sometimes yep. crossover. Sometimes crossover. Yep. The Mike Myers films, which rarely crossover. Yes, if at all. And the Kevin Smith films. Those. <laughs> yeah. Those are the four pillars cross. of our course. Yeah. No, those don't cross either. No. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna come up with a we're gonna come up with a syllabus, Zach. And when do a, I be a when, final at the end? When do I make you guys play every Kingdom Hearts game? I'm. I mean, I already. I've already done that. No, I'm you already, haven't. I'm, you've played like one and two, and and may, I don't even know if you played three. I haven't played three. That's the that's the one I have not played yet. I thought you had only played one and two. No, I remember I bought the collection and I played all the interstitial stuff I, I don't i don't remember that yeah I'll take your word for it though no i was playing the card game we've talked about this i played the card one i can't remember the name of it um chain of memories uh-huh yeah yeah okay. i played that i beat that okay okay god damn man all right i'm, I'm in the middle of well i'm not gonna i'm playing elden ring so i'm never gonna touch another game probably as long as, as long as i live but <laughs> Uh, I was right in the middle of a Kingdom Hearts 2 replay on my way to three. So mm. I, I'm in there with you, but I may not understand the lore on the level that you do or at all, <laughs> but <laughs> but I played them. <laughs> I definitely right. sat. I definitely sat there. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> all right. Well, let's wasted get back. my life. Get back to the comics here. We have a we have a new backup in this uh, in this book called uh, Secret Meetings, written by Joshua Williamson, illustrated by Trevor Harrison. It is yet another flashback to when Dick Grayson was Batman. Oh, it was Robin, rather. I'm sorry. I wish it was. Batman. <laughs> oh, I wish it was that. Yeah, that's I, when he. I don't need this at all. <laughs> um, no, we we get a little bit of jokey in here. We get a little bit of death stroke in here. Joker's uh, trick. It is truly the Joker's trick. And, uh, you know, it's fine, I guess. What do you guys think of this? Well, I've really grown on the Trevor Harrison art over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I liked it on that level. Um, otherwise, it's pretty boilerplate stuff. Like ending it with a Jokerized Slade reveal is just about the most predictable thing you could imagine but you know think things like this have to happen once a year or something you know <laughs> yeah the joker will always come back what about you zaki i i didn't i didn't think much about this at all um i'm wondering I think it's interesting that Williamson is writing this. So I guess maybe it will end up being important, but it also kind of, I was getting big vibes from the backup in tech recently of like a story that I think will end up mattering and then will not matter. (laughs) So, okay. Fair enough. 
Uh, so I don't, I don't really know what to expect with this, but I, I wasn't too invested or impressed by this first chapter. Yeah, it was fine. Whatever. Nothing really to say. Up next is Batman Beyond Neo Year, number one. After being teased in an Urban Legends story last year, we get this uh, first issue of a, I believe it's a six-issue miniseries set in the Batman Beyond universe, written by Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing, illustrated by Max Dunbar. Uh, Zach, start with you with this. You're you're a big Batman Beyond guy in theory. In theory, yeah, I am. <laughs> you uh, know. I can maybe count the number of like Batman Beyond comics that I've liked in my life on. But am I wrong that in theory you're a big Batman Beyond guy? Yeah, I love the idea of Batman Beyond. I really like the cartoon. Um, the, di- the digital comics were good. The digital comics were good. Yeah, especially the Justice League Beyond, yeah. uh, which I will like. Uh, I will like toot my horn for that for the rest of my life. <laughs> it yep. was really good. Um, uh, I actually think one of the first like physical comics I ever bought might have been a Batman Beyond comic. It was either that or um, Vince might know what I'm talking about. There was like a point in the 90s where Spider-Man had like four different costumes. Yes. I think I bought one of those around the same time. Okay, um, sure. Uh, so, but anyway, I love I love the idea of Batman Beyond, but like I, I just am constantly taken aback by how uninteresting the comics can make the premise and like the character of, of Terry McGinnis and and this this issue I think missed the mark for me pretty well like it was even less like interesting than that than that story from Batman Urban Legends which I, I actually quite liked that story pretty well I think but this spinning out of that did very little uh, that I thought was interesting with the premise which you know, as a refresher in that story, this AI woke up and, and became like the AI of Gotham essentially like woke up and killed Bruce Wayne. And now Bruce is dead. And Terry is kind of like on the run from this rogue AI essentially sort of, and this is dealing with the repercussions of that, but in a way that I I think is really uninteresting. And, And I think that Terry comes across as like very bland and, milk toast and in, in the way he's written vince yeah the uh, i fo- totally agree this stinks out loud actually i think <laughs> um i one of the things i hate about um recent takes on batman beyond comics is that almost nothing in this comic is something that you wouldn't see in a modern DC, regular DC comic anyway. Mm -hmm. Like the, I know that at a, like when Batman beyond was conceived at the time, it was maybe a fresh like take on what the future of Gotham city might look like. But now in 2022, we're still stuck in that same prior look at what the future might look at look like even though the current landscape of of the dcu basically could look like this like what is the what is the main conceit here that a brother eye like ai has taken over gotham and that there's a 
villain who is like using NFTs, uh, hard light constructs, which is a concept we've seen in comics. I mean, going back decades, anytime there was anytime like, uh, uh, Superman was acting weird or whatever, or evil. He t- it turned out to be a Superman robot or a Superman hard light construct or whatever, you know, <laughs> yep. you know what I mean? Yep. Like uh-huh. these concepts are so boring um, and, and really not futuristic at all. When you consider the, the, the current mindscape of what the future might hold. And I think there needs to be, if we're going to do the Batman beyond thing anymore, it really does need to jump forward from, from the entire conception of it. You know, they keep just trying to go back to Terry McGinnis as the Batman that took over from Bruce. And this is what Neo Gotham looks like or whatever, but it's, it's now it's no longer a beyond, you know, mm-hmm. beyond suggests something beyond what we understand, you know, and it's just not that. And it's so it's aiming for the middle of the road. And Jonathan and Hickman stuff. needs to come do Batman Beyond. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, absolutely. That's, that's a that's a fucked up idea. <laughs> yeah. That might be too raw. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's what I was thinking about. Either him or I had another who else did I I, I had an idea for someone else who could do it. Uh oh, Steve Orlando could do it because sure. I feel like he would channel I, I think that what put me on that is one of like the most exciting Batman Beyond things aside from some of the the uh digital first stuff was that uh issue I think it was Batman 700 where Morrison did Batman Beyond but it was Damien old man Damien yes was the Bruce figure for Terry mm-hmm. and and ter- he was he saved Terry from uh from um what two was it two two face two face two or something like <laughs> i that. believe it was two face two but two two face is even better <laughs> yeah uh make that make that the the continuity and and spin off of that that's what i want um but yeah this you're you're totally right vince this this feels like no different than like future state or something like that which was yeah uh, you know, anywhere from like five to 10 years or so in the future or whatever. Um, it, it feels no different than that. And, and even like, I would say a lot of the charm of the original series was like specifically seeing a futuristic version of the, you know, the Tim verse Gotham, which had a very distinctive style Yes, mm-hmm. and like pushing that, you know, 20 30 years into the future and seeing a version of that whereas like none of the comics really try to capture that style so you just end up getting kind of generic semi-futuristic city right with with shway spray painted on the wall somewhere (laughs) yeah yeah you know so yeah i mean this looks like it could just be tokyo yeah yes you know yes um I, I have I have one comment I want to make before you get back into something, Vince. Yeah. So yeah, go go for it. Sorry. That's right. No. So I, I I do agree with what you said about sort of needing a time jump or some sort of recontextualization of this to make it interesting. And I did not enjoy this comic. So I put that out there. I did not enjoy it. 
but it kind of is starting to do what you want it to do with Bruce being dead with Barbara Gordon retiring. Like it is beginning to set a new course for the story. It just isn't going to do it fast enough. Like then this story is going to end with Terry only slightly in a different place than he was before this story began. Uh huh. But the rest of the world is sort of moving on a little bit with Bruce and Babs being gone. So while I don't think that it's doing a great job of it, I think it actually is doing what you want it to do, just at a slower pace. Uh, you would pr- obviously prefer it at a medium pace. <laughs> Take the shampoo <laughs> bottle. And- <laughs> it's, it's also, I think, like... <laughs> Zach doesn't have any idea what we're talking about. I don't, that's, uh, that'll I don't, be part of the curriculum. Exactly. That is um, definitely part of the curriculum. Yes. Um, like Batman Beyond is a, as a concept is one that exists in like a static state mm-hmm. where even like we just had, you know, like five years of Batman Beyond continuity that Jurgens did that like <sighs> was not what I wanted really, but he, he, he did tell like a long running Batman Beyond story, and and now all of that is like mood. It's like it never happened, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, but like, did anything even happen in it? Probably not. Probably not. At one point, Tim Drake was Batman Beyond. That is true. Yeah, and the, there was a new. There was like a Batwoman Beyond that I remember. We uh-huh. all the, the costume was great. I remember yeah. that. But I think even there was like a Batwoman or a Batgirl beyond in the digital first stuff too, which was a different character mm-hmm. that gets jettisoned, you know, whenever the next incarnation comes up. They, yeah. Like Batman Beyond is treated like, and really this is this is honestly, I think a bigger problem that we've kind of touched on before about just like the DC multiverse in general, where like all of these alternate Earths or alternate realities have kind of like a basic status quo that never gets changed or updated and yeah, every story the, the that crime is never told yeah. the crime syndicate yeah, yeah. King, kingdom come uh, uh the, the vampire world uh-huh. yeah yeah the exactly all of them exist in this kind of like static continuity that, where you might see like a few changes every once in a while where like a team will be slightly different or a character will be slightly different um but it's essentially the same thing and it can never get past that. And if I think if DC really ever wants to capitalize on the like the multiverse stuff, which it, it seems like they're kind of more interested in now since multiverse as a concept is in the zeitgeist, they really need to stop doing that. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. They need to they need to move. They need to treat those properties the same way they do the main dc universe and like tell compelling stories with at least like the illusion of change and growth my my argument against that which is again i agree with you conceptually of course but my argument against that is like the the multiverse's purpose within dc right now is for us to do the leonardo dicaprio point at the screen meme Whenever we see something from a multiversal world, we recognize. <laughs> and so if they if they mess with that too much, we wouldn't be putting it at the screen as much. Well, and therefore, it would be less I, good. I think that is what it has been. But I think with them doing things like. Doing things like Justice League Incarnate and doing things like the new Teen Titans team in the in the new multiversity series. I feel like maybe they have an interest in expanding some of these characters and concepts a little bit more. 
and and making like new properties that people can latch on to so i don't know they can keep doing what they want and make money because they've been doing it for decades i just wish they would do something else yeah. i mean I, I don't i don't think you're wrong about that i really don't um but i do think that there is there is some value to them real or perceived in letting the multiverse stay static so that you can drop a character into earth x whenever that earth is and people know exactly what they're getting from it that's, Even, that's probably true yeah. yeah but i also i feel like you just you have diminishing returns on that and maybe that i mean that's just me being an old jaded comic reader but it's like how many more crime syndicate stories can i read in my life yeah without without them actually moving forward with some of those concepts you know yeah i can um, there there have been five in the like last 10 15 years of comics that come to my head that are all essentially the same story right well mm-hmm. but, but to me i i guess we should not spend a lot of time on this because it's not that interesting but i think well. that i think that there's a way to tell interesting stories without shaking up the status quo. They're not doing either. Yeah. And that's the I th- issue. I think the, right. the like multiverses end issue was kind of an example of that with the owl stuff. Owl man. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a great point. Brian, you know why they're not doing either? Why? Because the other thing that goes along with this is not just that they're telling the same story over and over again, but they even like to go and make it like grab the same artist and make it look the same. The, the crime yes. syndicate story that we got uh, the miniseries, mm-hmm. it was drawn by um, uh, what's his name. Um, oh God. I tell you for a million, million dollars. Yeah. Um, 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 uh, Kieran. Kieran McEwen. Yes, because we just we just saw him last last week in the that, uh, in the War, War Three. Yeah. Yes, exactly. That was that's my exact point. So like, they they retell these stories and they make them. They even kind of got to make them look the same, you know. And like, yeah, yeah, uh, people like that, right? Let's do it again. Well, whereas like, if you told us a similar story with the Crime Syndicate, and then you had like a different style of artist do it, then you might that you like somebody might come across that and think like, Oh, well, this is fresh, like in a way, or, you know, but having just read a crime syndicate story that I didn't care for in that mini series, and then seeing very similar art, giving us a very similar look at the crime syndicate that Waller has assembled. <laughs> that really makes it feel like it's not moving at all right right um it, that's it, a great point it helps it helps create that illusion that it's not going anywhere you know yeah and i mean i guess you could like argue maybe that that the the two crime syndicate teams are the same team right now and we're like in the same era so it it makes sense to have like an artistic continuity there yeah but, but they don't neither of those still. stories accomplish anything you know what i mean no, like right they, they, yeah absolutely no they don't you're right they, they may as well be the same star you know like i think that's the point you were making right like yeah um so 
So then the only other thing I want to say is, Brian, you're right. When you, when you say like, okay, the book is starting to do some things that I want it to do from a character standpoint. Yes. I, I think you, you nailed that. Like, yeah, I would like to see them move on from Bruce. I would like to see them age out some of these characters who are aging and then, and then maybe even age Terry and then have the younger, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, you're right. But I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about like, the concept of what the future is in Batman beyond too, like beyond just who the characters are like the the best example I can think of is like, um, one of the things that people criticize inception for is that they're going into people's dreams and then all they can dream up is like a snow hill to go down or like a building, Mm -hmm. you know, now I, that criticism, it's not something I adopt as somebody who's kind of a fan of that movie. Like I don't, I don't love, love it, but it's, you know, it was, it's a good hang, right? Like I enjoyed that movie quite a bit. Yes. Yeah. Like most Nolan movies are, it's just a good time at the, at the, at the cinema. Damn it. Um, You know me, give me some popcorn and soda. I'm happy. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, Even if it's air bud. Um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. But that criticism, nonetheless, it's something you hear. It's something you see. And there is some truth to it when you. If you apply that idea to Batman Beyond, right, like, OK. What they're doing right now, instead of thinking of what the future of the of DC Comics would look like, is they're constantly thinking of just doing Batman beyond again, you know, they're, they're only thinking of that snow Hill. They're only thinking of the buildings, you know? Right. Uh, when, when, what I want to see, and this is going to be really bonkers and, and it's unfair of me because DC nor Marvel would never publish a comic like this. <laughs> so I don't even know why I'm bringing it up or asking about it, but um, Alish Cots zero, right. But by the end of that book, there's a vision of the future so fucking bizarre and incomprehensible to the like average mind that like like conceptually things are happening at the end of that book that are that seem impossible, whereas this just looks like a Gotham with more neon in it. (laughs) And that's that's what they're calling the future, you know? I feel like at a certain point, the idea of beyond has to go beyond that. You know, it has to, we have to see things that are not possible right now, you know, or else it's just the same Terry McGinnis story told dozens and dozens of times. Um, Actually in the middle of my ramble, I thought of one thing that Marvel has actually published that would maybe scratch that itch a little and it would be the, do you remember the, oh, what was it called? The Marvel, uh, oh God, it had all those weird like indie artists on it. And it was like a, it was a mini event that was like a, like a hundred years in the future or something like oh, that. Oh yeah. It was like 1000, right? And it had is, like, is that what it, it was? Like, it wasn't like James Stokoe. James Stokoe, yep. yep. I, I'm looking at my bookshelf because I have the, Ah, I can't find it, but yes. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. 
that is, uh, that's kind of what the future of DC should look like to me now because we've seen two decades or more of what Batman Beyond is commonly known as now. That's again, that's probably unfair of me to ask for, but at this point, that's what I'm interested in. Something that something uh, that doesn't look like the classic idea of Batman Beyond anymore. It was it was the 100th anniversary specials. Okay. So yeah. there was but like uh, it was Stoko and um uh, there were some other wacky artists in there too. Yeah, yeah. Um try I was trying to find that that's the one that always like stands out in my mind. Um yeah. Let's see if I can here here's the trade. Um yeah. It was um oh man, these were good. I'm giving you 30 more seconds and we're moving on. I don't think this is right. <laughs> That's we're just we're just looking at Robin Firth, Jason Masters. The Avengers one was Stoko. Guardians of the Galaxy was da, 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 da. Andy Lanning, Ron Mars, and Gustavo Duarte. Yeah, I don't. That I. Anyway, yeah, you understand my point. Like, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Yes. Th- those actually go for a vision of the future that is something beyond just uh, repeating the same thing that we've done. My last question I want to ask about that concept because we do have to move on to other books because it's getting late, and I have <laughs> to edit some some stuff tonight. So, um, is that? But what was the last time that DC actually did a vision of the future that felt different? Uh, I think I think it's happened in small doses. Yeah, like, like uh, Wildstorm had an element of that. The Wildstorm. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, but to me that doesn't. That, to me that isn't the future though, right? That's like that's that well, that it was felt taking, like it. Yeah, but that was taking place. What I mean is like, I was thinking of the Morrison Batman six six six. That was a vision of the future that was done on a small scale, just in one or two issues that feels like different and fresh and not like the Batman Beyond version of the future. DC mm-hmm. 1 million. That's the answer. That's exactly the answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, but the reason it can do that is because it goes so far in the future. I legitimately think DC is worried about doing something and then having to grow into that thing, whereas they should yeah. never think about that. They should, they're never, they're never going to grow into Batman Beyond. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree, but I think that's still their fear. Huh. Maybe. I, I think I think, you know, we we fully questioned how much of future state would ever come to pass. And I'm sort of shocked at how much of future state has come to pass. I think we thought that because we thought that 5G was going to be way more scrapped than it was. That's that's probably true. That is probably correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like also, you know, the other thing, like uh, Future's End was another comparable thing that they did. And like none but of that, that was basically happened. the Batman Beyond stuff, though. Well, yeah. Yeah. But it was a lot more than that, too. Like they had all the one shots that was like an era of DC that they can do that stuff and know that they'll never have to grow into it. Yeah, I, I guess I was just expecting I, I wasn't expecting them to go as far as I'm suggesting, 
but I was expecting them to take the opportunity to go further than they did. And that goes beyond just killing Bruce. I just mean like, like when they introduced this in that like little uh, backup or anthology or whenever we last saw it, it, it was in urban legends. Yeah. Yeah. It was teased as like them saying Neo year made it sound like, Oh, this is going to be something that intentionally like really shakes up what we think the idea of Batman beyond is like, that's kind of the impression I got. I'm not credulous enough to really fall for that. Really. It's just an edgy way of saying new year or like a, yep. Right. It was a new year story. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. They, yeah. But you're right. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. But I thought like, Oh, this will be their chance to kind of like jump ahead. Do an anime time skip or something, right? Oh, yeah. Um, and they they didn't really do that. And, yeah. you know. I, I will say, like, not, I don't want to just, like, totally shit on this whole issue. I thought the art was pretty okay. And and I, yeah. I generally, like, think that uh, uh, Lansing and uh, Kelly. Kelly do, do, like, you know, crumpulent work you know there i don't i don't think that i wouldn't necessarily put them in the basket of writers that we have that we won't name names only sailors use condoms baby list shut up i wasn't gonna do it i wasn't gonna do it Uh, i wouldn't no i wouldn't put them on the on the list only sailors use condoms baby list stop jesus christ vince (laughs) please bleep these out (laughs) this is not the patreon show you're giving more work to Brian. Yeah, you are. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, I just, I just hope that this was going to be a little bit. You can just paste. On you can paste me saying. Only sailors use condoms, baby. Over those. Jesus Christ, Vince. <laughs> Let's take a break to, to wash this unpleasantness out of our mouths, and we shall return in just a moment. So stay tuned. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we are back with a discussion of scroll, scroll, scroll. Monkey Prince number three, written by Gene Luen Yang, illustrated by Bernard Chang. Uh, so we covered the first issue. We skipped last month, but we are here again. And Vince, what do you think of Monkey Prince thus far? Um, I really like it quite a bit. I'm bugged by one thing. Is it the optimization of it? Well, kind of, but not in the way you think. Okay. Um, just the fact that it's set in Gotham alone does not bug me. What bugs me a little and I feel bad because I want to heap, I want to otherwise heap praise on this, but I just get this out of the way from, from the beginning here. 
remember the teaser we got for this again i think it was in the the asian anthology that was yes yeah where it teased this like big connection to the new gods and dark side and this like secret war that went on um with like the ancestors of of the monkey prince or something something to that effect yes to get absolutely none of that (laughs) in this so far um has me feeling a little bummed because that stuff like opened my mind up to what this could be and we are still just very much stuck in monkey prince origin mode where I feel like so many of the beat now, Gene Lu and Yang is very good at this. He's done this several times and he's an expert at it. And he's just a great comic writer to begin with. So it's very well done, but it's just another uh, teen superhero learning the ropes origin. Right. I, I thought there would be a little, a little something more DC historia sprinkled into this. I, I, I think that there Maybe this is me being overly generous. I think that there will be. I, I noticed on this issue that this so that this series is 12 issues, but this arc is of four. Yeah. And so I, I am kind of hoping that we get like a four issue kind of origin arc here. And then it ends up being maybe like a three act structure thing. And we get into more of that. I don't know why. Yang would have teased that stuff and then not pay off on it somehow. I hope so. I but hope I, you're I, right. I do agree that this this origin is, I think, so I read issues two and three back to back to kind of to catch up and it's moving. It's very decompressed, I think. Yeah, absolutely it is. Yeah. Yeah, I don't disagree with any of that stuff that you guys said. I think that my my two sort of problems with this and problems are strong words are the the drawing out of the origin whereas you know the third issue gives us a little bit more actual action here but still it it just feels a little bit like every other dc property of late which is that it needs six issues to tell a one issue origin story and i you know i don't i don't love that and then i don't think setting this in gotham makes the book any better i don't think bringing batman and robin into it makes the book any better I think I know why that stuff is done, right? This is this is a canny move to get eyes on the book and to get people to pick it up, but to me, it doesn't make the book any better. So I think that come issue five, when we are through the origin tale, when we are through the Batman crossover, hopefully we can tell a story that I'm far more interested in than the one we were getting so far. That the, said, sorry, Zach. Oh, no, yeah, go ahead. I, didn't, I thought you were done. Go no, for it. I'll say that said, I think that Bernard Chang continues to do fantastic art in this book. I think with the stuff that Yang is establishing in terms of the supporting cast and all that really works as fun. It just feels like it's not really a. This just this just feels like a very. Typical first arc of a book where I had high hopes that it would be an atypical first arc. Uh-huh. Um, the, the one counterpoint I wanted to give regarding the Gotham stuff is I really, I do think that the Damien stuff adds a little bit to the book because I think Damien is a really fun foil for, for the Monkey Prince. Um, 
I forget his name off the top of my head right now. Um, I, I think it's very funny that like Damien has checked himself into the school essentially just to play detective. I think that's mm-hmm. really fun. And I do kind of like that Bruce is just a, a buffoon in this. <laughs> like <laughs> uh, that Damien is just having to wrangle him all the time uh, because he uh, kills people with his batterings as we have always known that he does. Yes, of course. Um, well, no, they don't, but um <laughs> but uh the golden penguin is is kind of interesting too uh, uh-huh. i want to see i want to see the colin farrell penguin in gold i want to see gold member mashed with colin farrell penguin <laughs> yeah i love gold <laughs> um the demon possessed hot dog cart was fun i mean so much of the fun of this book you know, I'll heap praise on Jean Lu and Yang all day, but in an opening arc, arc that is a little ordinary as far as origin stories go, so much of what's fun about this is Bernard Chang having fun with the art. So, like the gold penguin, the demon possessed hot dog cart, the 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 like rapid changing between being a, a monkey prince and a human boy and switching back all that stuff is rendered in a very fun energetic way and uh, you know it's 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 kind of simplistic when you when you focus on facial expressions as far as comic book art goes i feel like that's something that reviewers go to the well too often with but that that really is a hallmark of chang's art i feel I think it's just his style to focus on the faces a lot. There's a lot of close-ups of faces in his work always. Um, and I think it's, I think it's because that's such a strength of his and I think he recognizes it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's why they end up doing this. And um, that stuff is all really beautifully done, I think. And the book can be kind of gross when it needs to be gross too. Um. Yeah, it, it it's a lot of fun despite the fact that, like, like you said, Brian, I totally agree. I I thought it would be a little bit more unique conceptually, but you know they're they're trying to sell a, a trade paperback volume one, right? So yeah. All right, let's um let's finish off this episode with talking about Wonder Woman Historia, the Amazon's book two, written by Kelly Sue DeConnick and illustrated by Jean Ha. I want to say one thing off the bat here, and then I hope we can talk about the issue proper, but there's no way to me this issue can live up to the first issue art-wise, and that is no offense to Jean Ha, but that first issue was so, so special that unfortunately this issue felt like a letdown a little bit from that but I want us to try to talk about it, not basing it on the first issue. If we can, does that sound fair to you guys? Sure. I mean, on the contrary, I, all, I was surprised at how close it got. Wow. Okay. I, I kind of was too. And I'm, I'm definitely more of a Jimenez guy than a ha guy, but it, I, I was pleasantly surprised. I, I thought this was very good. Don't get me wrong. I just don't, to me, that Jimenez issue was just, you know, above and beyond anything sure. we've seen in a very long time. Mm-hmm. So good. I'm, I, I'm glad that you guys um, 
I'm glad that you guys are cool with that. All right. So go ahead, Vince. Talk about this. Yeah. Well, I just think like right off the bat, um, one of the things I was surprised about, and I, I've seen plenty of uh, Gene Ha's work and I, I'm a fan. Um, Kelly Sue or just the concept of this book or, 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 you know, the whole creative editorial process of this is asking Gene Ha to do something that he hasn't done very often. Like th- this is very much aping not Jimenez stylistically, but like uh, J.H. Williams style sometimes, you know, and, but it's very much Gene Ha. You look at the faces, you look at the figures, it's totally Ha, but just the way that so many of these pages are constructed and the way that these like single page spreads tell a story is not what I'm used to from Ha. And he absolutely nails it. Like, I think, I think like the fundamentals of it are pretty much as good as the the Phil Jimenez stuff was. Um, now you can quibble with whether you like the style more or not, um, right. but but I, I mean I I think. I, I was really surprised at, at, at how close it came and, how, and what heights it hit for some of these spreads. There's less of them than there were in the first issue, because I think, I think Kelly Sue's script tells more of a propulsive narrative here than that first yes. issue did. Yes. I will say, I think that this is a better comic than that issue was in terms of, um, putting forth a narrative storyline. Uh-huh. Whereas I just thought the art for that one took the whatever was, and that's not, Kelly Sue's script was very good. I think this is a better script than the issue one, but the art in issue one just, again, for me, put it over the top. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I think that's fair. And and it, yeah, if you look at issue one as, as more of like a roadmap or a source book for mm-hmm. yep. what, what this story is or what this is, what this story is supposed to be. And then this is more of a well. Once once we get Hippolyta involved, this is how the this is how the narrative of the Amazons went forward. Um, they're they're different conceptually, but feel of a piece with one another. And really, I was blown away again. Um, like I, I think from a story standpoint, everything is so smart. Every time a character shows up or one of the gods or a specific Amazon that we know by name, there is a little insight to their character. We get an idea of um, the reason why they are the one that we're spending time with at this particular moment. Um, Just really, really smartly constructed narrative and story and very compelling in the way that it ends up pitting the gods against uh, the Amazons mm-hmm. by the end. Um, man, this is, 
<laughs> How many books are there going to be of this? Is it just three? I, I think, think it's, it's just three. three yeah. Oh, man. And I'm looking it we, up though. Do we know who the artist on the third one is? Nicola I Scott. Think, yeah. Oh, this is going to be an all timer. You guys. It is. This yeah. is, is going to be like a uh, all time wonder woman book. Like this and the, this and the uh, Perez uh, are going to be like the cornerstones. I think. Okay, hang on. This this can't be true. According to the Wikia, the project was pitched as nine sixty-four page issues. Hmm. Maybe this is maybe that's the overall plan. But I, it said publishes three graphic novels. So I think Nicola Scotts is the third part of the initial batch maybe we'll get more oh man okay that would be insane this is so good <laughs> like I... yeah well because here's the thing what wonder woman historia is the title this yeah. is the amazon's part oh so there could be you're wonder right. woman historia diana and, wonder <sighs> woman, and something else i meant oh who baby <laughs> Ooh, baby. Yeah, we got yeah. a stew going now. I, I, <laughs> I oh, I I didn't even realize what we were in for. That's now it but makes. That's, per- but that that's all based on a Wikipedia thing and a, a podcast interview. She said, "Sure, but, you, but know, it, you know, she gave rather." But it makes perfect sense if you think where we're where we're sitting in the story, right? Like. Right. By the end of this issue, we're not really anywhere near Diana yet. No, <laughs> so, no. Yeah. Oh, my God. I didn't even. Con- How did I not even consider this? <laughs> yeah. Fuck, man. I, I, I hope. I hope they can they can make that happen. However, it was intended. Yeah. I mean, imagine imagine getting nine different artists all doing the work of their careers. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. I hope that's true. I hope it didn't just get condensed down to this. I mean, this would be great anyway. Like, don't get me wrong. If, if we don't even get to Diana and it's, it's really more of a story about what led up to that, then so be it. It would still be one of the best wonder woman related things I've ever read. Sure. But but holy shit! Now, now I'm thinking. Now, now I'm thinking. I want the whole shebang. <laughs> now that I know this. Yeah. Oh man. Yes, please. I hope this isn't like uh, the the multiverse, the graphic novel. Uh, the made up. But yeah. Yeah. I I man I don't even either way even if if it is we will end up with a great story. I think this is so enjoyable, like so well-written. Um, the, the stuff with the Amazons, like sneaking around and murdering, like the, the, the um, guys that are selling women into slavery and all that stuff is like, so it's rendered so dramatically and and just um, not pulling any punches, really, either, you know? Yeah. I, I think the bit with the the Amazonian under Hippolyta, who 
goes, you know, she tries to kill that boy and she's mm-hmm. stopped by, um, oh, it's, uh, she's stopped. Yeah. She's, I thought it was maybe like someone, like a named character that we were familiar it with. Probably like is, like it might've been. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot. I, I kind of thought it might've been Antiope, but that might be wrong regardless. She stopped, but then she goes back and finds him in the village and, and, you know, takes revenge on him, but because it's done in daylight and that's Apollo's time, then, yeah. then the, then the male gods find out about the Amazons. And that's like the whole time I'm, I didn't, I felt like a dum-dum because it's like, oh, they're traveling at night because they want to like avoid men or something, you know, but it's like, no, they were trying to avoid the gods. And that has such like an incredible, like mythologic quality to it. And it's so smart. And and that whole sequence following that was just, I mean, it's all extremely well-written, but that I, that part was extremely good. I really liked the bit earlier in the issue where Hippolyta meets Artemis and they have that exchange in the forest and Artemis is just like changing from panel to panel. Mm-hmm. Like at one point she like becomes like this big deer centaur thing. And then like another point she, she looks like her normal God self, except she has a giant bear arm. <laughs> and yeah. it's just like, it's just like nutty stuff where, where Ha is like capturing these static moments of this, this character that is like so fluid and, and is constantly changing. And if we could see that, we, we would see that fluidity but but he is just doing these like snapshots and it's it's such a good idea and and some of the like backup material about his process and and his pages like that stuff was really interesting to read through it's just such a good product you know such a good artistic project yeah <laughs> yeah yeah this is uh this is really something special and again for a podcast that shit on the idea of black label, we sure like a lot of black label. <laughs> oh, I'm the black label guy now. <laughs> I know you are now. I know you are now. I love me some black label. I can't yeah. wait to own this as like an oversized hardcover. Just have it sitting oh, on my that's shelf. That's one more thing I do want to say for this too. This book has done a disservice by us reviewing reviewing it digitally. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah well, all is. thanks to DC for for providing the yes, uh, absolutely yes the, the comics, that, but. Yeah but really this is not how we should be experiencing this. Yeah. And you guys might remember when the first issue of this came out, it was the first time I went to a physical comic book store to pick up something I hadn't pre-ordered because I needed to own it physically and I'll, I'll need to own this as well. Um, Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. I was out on black label until this book had like, four or five Fibonacci sequences. In it. <laughs> now I'm in baby. I'm a big fan of the band tool. <laughs> Not really. But... You, you, you got that peach Momoko tool. <laughs> tool print. <laughs> no, but that rocks. That's man. Peach peach can do no wrong. No wrong. All right. Uh, this is me stalling for 30 seconds while Vince figures out next week's comics. I got him. I got oh. him, baby. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> right, go ahead. Uh, Batgirls number five, Batman 89 number five, Batman Catwoman 11, Batman Urban Legends 14, Flashpoint Beyond number zero, uh, Future State Gotham 12, Green Lantern 12, final issue. Uh, I am Batman number eight, Naomi season two, number two, 
Suicide Squad Blaze book two. Superman. See, that's why I'm down on Black Label. Um, Superman, Son of Kal-El, number 10. Sandman Universe, Nightmare Country, number one. And Wonder Woman, 786. Well, we got to talk about what we're going to cover from that list in a few minutes for next week. But until then, if you have to find us, two-thirds of us on Twitter, I am at Brian Needs an App. I am at Walker Fox. If you need to find Vince, he is going back to his local comic shop for the second time in however long to buy a physical issue. Correct. And thanks for listening, folks. We'll be back next week with more goofs and reviews, and we'll talk to you then. Bye. A lot of goofs. Hang on, I'm doing something here. Wait. Go back and edit Vince's slander. <laughs> <laughs>